0: The most famous prayer in the Bible. What's it called? Yeah, yeah, the Lord's Prayer. More accurately, we would call it the disciples' prayer, wouldn't, wouldn't we? Because they asked him, How should we pray? In Hebrew, I think this is what it's I think this is the way you say it. Tephilat hatalmidim. And if it's not right, I'm going to be corrected. <laughs> because I have a friend here who's a Hebrew teacher. <laughs> and she comes here to wait until I stumble with the Hebrew. No, I'm kidding. It's the disciples' prayer. To filat hatal midim. How should we pray? You know, and he told them, and we all know it, that we too who are his disciples know it to this very day. It bears repeating. Would you say the Lord's or disciples' prayer with me together? Let's begin. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I love the first, I love all of it. The first two words. Our Father. Oh my goodness. It says so much. You know what the Lord is saying? When you speak to Almighty God, approach Him as if you're His son or daughter. Come to Him. Though he be the great beyond transcendent deity, Alpha and Omega, come to him with the full privileges of a little child, our Father. Religion says keep your distance. Religion requires a measure of liturgical, formal dignity. (laughs) And it's as if the Lord is saying, don't worry about it. Come as you are, as a little, call my father, your father, he's our father. (gasps) He's Abba. Jewish kids call their dads Abba. The Lord Jesus said, you could call your heavenly dad Abba. (gasps) Jewish people don't call God Abba. (laughs) Uh, uh, The Jewish Messiah said, you can Our Father. He's near. He's close. He's accessible. He's approachable. He doesn't bite. Our Father. But don't forget the next phrase. Who art in heaven. Your Father is out of this world. Oh yes, He's near. He's approachable. He came. But that's juxtaposed with His locale. He is high and lifted up. He is surely with you, but he's not you. (laughs) He transcends the space-time dimension that you are presently bounded by. Your Father is in heaven. He is high and lifted up. He is supreme, he is transcendent, he is holy. And there is the rub in that first phrase in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, for sure, you can be familiar, but he's in heaven. He isn't your co-pilot, be careful. Show respect. Yes, he's your Father, but come to him with respect. Don't let the accessibility of your Father reduce the relationship to too much of a palsy-walsy thing. He's your father who is in heaven. You don't need any vestments or special garb. You don't need a clerical collar. You can come to him as your father for sure, but please don't bring him down to your level. Please, he's your father who is in heaven. And you have to hold in tension these two competing ideas, and the theologians refer to it as the imminence and transcendence of God. His imminence means he is Emmanuel, God with us. He came near. Imminence of God. The transcendence means he is above it all. He is outside creation order for he is the creator. You're in it. You're in a closed circle of space and time until he takes us out of it but he's above it and outside he's bounded by nothing therefore he's omni in all respects he's omni-powerful he's omni-knowledgeable he's omnipresent all the rest you're not he is now you have to be careful because you can err in either of the directions if you overemphasize the holiness of god and believe it or not you can you won't be comfortable coming to him, though he said, come to me. You won't. You will feel so distant, separated. You, you, if you overemphasize the transcendence, the holiness of God, you'll think you cannot connect. There's no means of connection, even though he provided it. And, and and if you err in the other direction, if you're not maximizing the holiness of God. If you minimize the holiness of God, then you make him your equal and your pal. You see? So what do we have to do as believers? Strike the balance between the transcendence and imminence of God. That's what we have to do. It's no small task, by the way. You can approach God as your father. That's wonderful. But your father must be approached in the right way because he is holy Therefore, you must approach him in holiness. Yeah, you must do that. And each follower of Messiah Jesus is responsible for his or her approach to God. It has to be in holiness. You have to lift up holy hands. You cannot take for granted his holiness. You cannot... Minimize the uh, significance of your sin when coming in mind, when coming into his presence. We cannot diminish his holiness and think it doesn't matter how we come. No, we have to come uh, with holy hands, not unholy hands. And each of us is responsible. And yet, I want to show you that God has called out from his body some who bear very extraordinary responsibility for protecting, regulating, enforcing, and insisting on the holiness of God's people. And I want to prove to you uh, this particular notion from the text we've been looking at in Bar, Numbers, In the wilderness. For tonight, Numbers 18, just the first seven verses. That's where we are. Numbers chapter 18. Israel, ancient, is in the wilderness. They have so much to learn. They have to learn that they as covenant people are responsible before God to approach him in a holy manner. But they're going to find out that he has called out and appointed others to help them with their efforts at holiness and even to require it. And even to discipline them for failing to do so. And so you'll see who they are in Numbers chapter 18, verse 1. So the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's household with you shall bear the. Whoa, this text really disturbed me. Shall bear the guilt in connection with the sanctuary. The sanctuary. Where God said, I'll come near, I'll establish my glory. This is where you'll make contact with me. Though I be transcendent, I will make myself available. Come, but don't come flippantly. Don't come with undue fear, but don't come with undue familiarity either don't take my presence and accessibility so much for granted that you don't come clean, come clean, don't come with unclean. You cannot come into my sanctuary where there are holy things, furnishings, things. You can't touch them. You can't come into their presence. You can't expect me to be in their presence when you defile The atmosphere with your unholiness. And so Aaron and his household shall bear the guilt in connection with the sanctuary. And you and your sons with you shall bear the guilt in connection with your priesthood. So Aaron and his sons, the priests, would bear the guilt. That's the haunting phrase. Three words. Bear the guilt uh, for two things. Number one, whatever happens in the sanctuary, they're responsible for How the people conduct themselves when they gather together congregationally. The onus of responsibility, though it be on each, falls in particular on these, the ministers, priests, the ministers. So they will bear the guilt for what happens in the sanctuary, number one. And number two, they'll bear the guilt for what happens in their personal lives as priests. (gasps) Can you imagine? A called out chosen priest, given the honor and dignity of the office, who in his private life is doing that which is unholy, and he's leading the people into holiness. God will not be mocked, he will not have it. And so there's a twofold responsibility what happens in the sanctuary, what happens in the priest's or minister's personal life. That minister will bear the guilt for it. Each Israelite had personal responsibility for the way he or she approached holy God. For sure, it must be in a holy manner. But Aaron and his son, priests by application. Today's ministers who stand in the gap, you say, were given added responsibility. They were to be guardians of holiness. This is a good thing. It's a God thing. These were guardians given as gifts. That's the title I chose for this. God-chosen guardians given to the people as gifts. They had been given a great privilege, but they also bore great responsibility. This is the nature of ministry. I'm finding people, I think, a little too casually thinking they're going into the ministry. Make sure you're called if there be one here. What is a call into the ministry? I don't know. I don't know what it is. If you asked me, Stuart, how did you know you were called into the ministry? Tell me specifically. I would come up short. It was indescribable. I can't explain it to you. I did not hear God's voice audibly. I suppose some do. I'm just telling you that was not my experience. I don't think it's important for a minister to be able to specify the specific nature of his call, but he better nonetheless be sure of it. I can't explain to you my call into the ministry, but boy, I can tell you I'm as sure of it as anything else. It's inexplicable. It bypasses reason. That's why I don't have words for it. I don't know. I've never met a minister who's given me a good explanation of what it is to be called into the ministry. But as a minister, you better know you is. We may fall short with regard to explaining the call, but you better not fall short with regard to being sure of it. Why? For though the call into the ministry is a very dignified thing and quite a privilege, it's laden with dangers. Don't you see? The minister bears the guilt No longer merely of his own sin, but also with regard to the unregulated sin of those he ministers to. Do you know the minister will stand before God with regard to how he shepherded, taught, ministered to the flock? Every ordained minister is accountable to Almighty God. Now, the minister can't keep people from committing sin, but the minister has to do something about it when there's an unchecked, Pattern of sin, if he looks the other way because he doesn't want to ruffle feathers, (gasps) his feathers will be really ruffled when he stands before God. You see? So lately when I speak to people who feel called into the ministry, I put the same pressure on them as when someone feels called to marry. (laughs) I do everything I could to talk them out of it. Both marriage and ministry. I'll tell you why. I think both institutions are holy. But if I can talk them out of it, they ain't called to it. Don't you see what I'm getting at? So, 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 this is, that's why this text was so disturbing to me. Uh, As a, as a, as a minister, oh my goodness. You can dress casually. I don't think you need vestments or anything like that. But you can't be casual about the responsibility. You can't be sloppy about it. This is a serious kind of a, kind of a thing. So ministers bear the guilt of unchecked unholiness in the household of God and in their own personal lives. God was close for sure. God was present. God came near, undoubtedly, for sure. But one must not ever lose sense of the holiness of God, though he be near. Holy God, therefore, must be approached with holiness. There's no other way. And ministers bear the guilt, if this is not enforced. They bear the guilt, it says, in connection with the sanctuary. They were... And are, to this very day, responsible for regulating how the people approach the sanctuary. God called the priests to this high calling. It's not an elected office. It's a supernatural, inexplicable calling. God did this. They were entrusted then and now with the care of the sanctuary and all of its articles. We don't have a menorah and a table of showbread, but we have the word of God. We offer praise here. We have ministries that we sponsor. We have an auditorium that we fill with the praises of God. We set up classrooms where the word of God is imparted. We do all kinds of ministries around the world in the name of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. These are the holy things. In the sanctuary that the ministers are responsible for guarding and protecting and the Lord will hold his ministers accountable. They hold, they bear the guilt if they handle these holy things in an unholy manner and if they know of it and allow members to handle these things in an unholy manner. If because they want to be politically correct and not ruffle feathers, they look the other way, When someone handles with unclean hands the furnishings of the holy sanctuary, that minister will bear the guilt. Do you see it? That is serious, folks. Wow. Very, very. So God called the priests to this very high and lofty calling. They're entrusted with the care of the sanctuary and its holy articles so the, so the priest, the minister, they, they, they could themselves handle the articles, the, the holy articles of the sanctuary, but, but they themselves must handle them in personal holiness, and they must see to it that others do so as well. Personal holy, I remember once I was in a church, I was serving as a staff member, and somebody came who I happened to know to be quite a reprobate, professing to know Christ, but certainly living in a way inconsistent with it, but this person had tremendous skills and talents and gifts, not spiritual gifts, just natural gifts. And the various ones in the church went out of their way to create a position that could be filled by this influential, skillful, uh, well-educated, well-to-do person. (sighs) Unacceptable. Unacceptable unacceptable that is corrupted and defiled worship being offered to God that is a sacrifice with blemish and if you don't think the minister is not going to have to give account the minister bears the guilt for what happens in the sanctuary that's what that's why I say don't be rushing into the ministry And yet don't run away from it if you know you're called to it. Just know there's the dignity of it, but it's also laden with dangers because if you handle it inappropriately, you will give account to a most holy God. So personal holiness, I must emphasize this lest I'm scaring you, personal holiness does not obtain our salvation. Did you know that? It's a good thing because nobody has it. I'll tell you what we have is personal sin, Plenty of that to go around. Not inherent innate personal holiness. We ain't born in holiness. We're conceived in sin. You see. So thank God the prerequisite for salvation is not the development of personal holiness. No. But the evidence of salvation sure is the demonstration of personal holiness. So the person who says, yes, I'm a Christian, but there's no evidence of a regenerated life of a life that resembles a holy savior, there's reason to believe that person has simply uttered some words, but has not been changed from the inside out. Now, there's something else about personal holiness. Do you know it's a gift given back to God? It's a measure of gratitude. You see, He saved us. It says this Titus three five. You can read it in many places. Um. Uh, He saved us, not according to deeds done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit. So you see, we haven't been saved by anything but grace and mercy. And as a measure of gratitude for that, we want to live a holy life. We want to be holy as he who saved us is holy. So we read this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Therefore... Since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Don't you love that? Could I tell you something? Everything is being shaken. Everything is. Every nation is being shaken. Every, every national economy is being shaken. Every government is being shaken. This is a great day. I'm just telling you. Things are happening. It ain't boring at all. Everything's being but 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 since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Are you kidding me? That is excellent. Since that's the case, let us show gratitude. You see it? Since that's the case, show gratitude, by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God. It is a consuming fire. And I want to tell you something. The fire of that God who is a consuming fire, the holy fire of that God, burns hottest around ministers who fail to enforce high standards of holiness in their own lives and then in the lives of the people who gather together regularly in the name of a holy God. It's very serious business. So the text goes on in verse 2, But bring with you also your brothers, the tribe of Levi, tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you, while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. And so God appointed not only priests, but also those to assist the priest. You might find that to be the modern-day equivalent of deacons. They are not the priests. In some churches, deacons try to be. Those are churches that split because they're wrong. It's just not the role of deacons. And so, 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 so here, uh, God brought assistants to assist and support the priests in verse 3. And they shall thus attend to your obligation and the obligation of all the tent. but they shall not come near to the furnishings of the sanctuary and the altar or both they and you will die. It's a demarcation of labor. One is not of more value or import than the other, but there is differentiation of labor in the economy of God. If you don't like it because you're, you, 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 you know, equal rights and all that, then argue with God. I didn't come up with this plan. So the Levites were to assist, but where they were not to enter the tabernacle or undertake priestly service lest they die. Verse 4, they shall be joined with you and attend to the obligations of the tent of meeting for all the service of the tent, but an outsider, maybe your Bible says stranger, same concept, an outsider or stranger may not come near you. So if the sanctuary, the meeting place of God was profaned by the intrusion of outsiders or strangers, the blame for it all would be upon the Levites and priests who ought to have kept them off. The outsider was not a foreigner, not a non Israelite. No, the outsider was a non authorized Israelite. One who came too close to the holy things and who was not authorized to do so. And if the priests, for convenience or to keep the status quo, let it happen, they would bear the guilt thereof. You see? So ministers today, we have to go out of our way to show people the way to free and gracious access to the throne of Almighty God. We want to show people that Jesus, Yeshua, is the way. And because of what he did, our roadway, our path to Almighty God has been provided for us. We want to go out of our way to show people by grace, his grace, you can be saved by your faith. We want to tell in, in, in the son who came, stretched out his arms on a horrible, horrible object of excruciating pain and said, Father, forgive them. And the Father did because of the totality of the Son's sacrifice as a substitute for... We want to go out of our way repeatedly, always, till the time of the Lord's return to tell people about the freeness of the gracious and merciful means of access to Almighty God. On the other hand, ministers have to be a little careful <clears throat> about assuming too quickly... That one who utters a prayer just on that basis is where he or she needs to be. A minister has to be very, very careful about taking someone who professed to know Christ yesterday and making them have a key position in the church tomorrow. doesn't matter what their natural talents, inclinations, and stock portfolio is. The minister has to show how inviting is the head of the church, the Lord Jesus, and how you can come freely and have ease of access. But the minister has to wait to see whether it took. Uh, Today we have in our churches, uh, many churches, a lot of difficulties. You say, how could those people do that? They're not acting like Christians. Well, you're presuming they are. You ever heard of wheat and tares mixed together? I'm absolutely persuaded that not everyone who's a member of uh, a given church is a member of the head of the church. (laughs) You shall know them by their fruit. So the minister has to wait to see the fruit. Good night. How could you be inhabited by transcendent deity and it not show? So wait a while. You know, I'm a guy who doesn't... i got to be honest with you. I'm probably a bad guy. I, I don't get perhaps as excited as I ought to when I hear that someone came to accept the Lord. I get more excited when three weeks later, they're still walking with him. Three months later, they're growing in the faith. Three years later, they're going on. Their life is transformed. Their values have changed. Everything is different about them. Oh, yeah, then I get all excited for crying out loud. So, 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 so there's another tension here. You want to be very inviting, but you don't want to quit. I used to work for an organization. uh, Well, it's called Jews for Jesus. I might as well tell you that. Jews for Jesus. We used to wear these shirts that say Jews for Jesus. We used to stand out on the streets and let people abuse us. It was really a lot of fun. (laughs) At least we got attention. So uh, I remember one time one of my supervisors, I was upset about somebody and He said to me, I'll never forget this. He says, Stuart, they're wearing our colors, but they're not of us. See, certain people wore the (laughs) T-shirt, but demonstrated over time through lifestyle or whatever it is, they're not really of us, you see. So there are many people who profess to know Christ. I just got to tell you, they're wearing our colors, but they ain't. (laughs) That's supposed to be a new creature. Prove it. Show me. So until I see evidence of that, you know, someone wants to teach a class, somebody wants to sing in a choir, somebody wants to do this, somebody wants to do that. I know a church in the area that has a person, uh, an instrumentalist, a great gifted instrumentalist in their orchestra, who has been lovingly approached and uh, asked to receive the ministry of the church at this point rather than participating in it because he doesn't know the Lord and he's served as an instrumentalist in that church over 10 years a series of pastors it seems to me have looked the other way now it's become quite an issue has the potential to divide the church because some are saying how could you be so cruel this guy's been with us all this time no he hasn't (laughs) he's wearing your colors but he's not of you are you kidding me? And the ministers allow, don't you see, an outsider or a stranger to come into the sanctuary to participate in worship to a God he doesn't even know? And we look the other way because he's skilled at it? Don't you see? That's what it's about. The minister will bear the guilt when the stranger approaches the sanctuary. You see what I'm, what I'm kind of... Hey, can I tell you something? These are not the days to be politically correct and frankly, be so nice about stuff. Do you know things are heating up? This is not the day to let someone be persuaded they're in the embrace of the Lord Jesus when in fact they ain't. This is not the day to do that. So the ministers, that's why it says here, an outsider may not come near you. So verse verse 5, so you shall attend to the obligations of the sanctuary and the obligations of the altar so that there will no longer be wrath on the sons of Israel. It's pretty serious. Behold, I myself have taken your fellow Levites from among the sons of Israel. They're a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord, to perform the service for the tent of meeting. But you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything concerning the altar and inside the veil, and you are to perform service. I'm giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So... Uh, all believers, did you know, you know this? Don't you? All believers are like unto priests. It's different now than in the old covenant. First Peter chapter two verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So the old covenant priesthood the way it was, has given way to the new covenant priesthood where everybody is, does what a priest, what does a priest do? A priest stands in the gap between holy God and sinful man. Everyone here has that responsibility now. It's wonderful. However, though all believers are priests today uh, and are responsible for dealing with unholinesses in the temple, w- where's the temple today? You am know, not the one in Jerusalem. Where's the temple today? Point to it if you can find it. Yes! Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Remember, everything in the, in the old covenant simply foreshadows ultimate fulfillment in the new. The priesthood, the select priesthood, gives way to the body of Messiah. The temple structure gives way to you. Because God has taken up his abode in your life. His Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit, the Holy One, inhabits you. You're the sanctuary, therefore, you have to treat your body with holiness. The buck stops now with you. So that being said, though every believer has the responsibility for holy living, still, God has called some into the dignified yet dangerous full-time custodianship of the meeting place of God. In our case, the church. That's why it says here, I am giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service. It's not an earned service. It's not a campaigned-for service. It's not a deserved service. It's bestowed so the minister, on the one hand, has to be feel honored and blessed, but the minister has to be careful about thinking there's something special about him. There ain't. It's a bestowed service. Why did God choose some for full-time custodianship of the holy things and not others? I don't have a clue. I don't know, we'll ask him one day. This is the sovereignty of God. But he has nonetheless done so. I am giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service. So uh, a duly called minister has not established himself in that position. He's been established in it by God. And not only that, that's why it says, I'm giving you the ministry as a bestowed service. Uh, Therefore, he is to enforce and uphold high standards of holiness, first in his own life, and then in the corporate lives of the people of God when they gather together. He's given the gift of ministry and is to be considered as a gift given to the church. Did you know that? Yeah, read Ephesians chapter 4. He is given, the minister is given the gift of service, not exploitation, not dictatorship. No, no, no. He's given the gift of service and is to be considered as a gift to the church. And God gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and some as, read Ephesians. God gave as gifts to the... It's a little awkward for me to be to be sharing this, because I are one of those, and it, it, uh, I'm sort of calling attention to myself, but that's that just, uh, as one, one of the ministers, but, but that's the way it is. Could I tell you something? This church really, really treats its ministerial staff in a remarkably wonderful way. I, it just does it prays for the staff, it loves us, it supports, it's respect, I mean, it's great. So a lot of what I might otherwise have to say doesn't apply here, but you should see what's happening in a lot of churches. Be careful. Be careful. Everyone's equal, everyone's of value, everyone's of worth, and not everyone is called to the same. Can I tell you something? We we expect almost anyone called to almost anything today to have commensurate training, life experience, and education. I would expect that full-time ministers would also have commensurate training, life experience, and education. And therefore, this day, well, that's your opinion, I have mine Then why are you paying for your ministerial staff? As you know, if you know as much about stuff as they do, what are you paying them for? I mean, I went to see a doctor when I was sick, and good night. I waited into his waiting in his waiting room with a bunch of other needy, sneezing, germ-infested people, you know, for two hours until this guy in a white coat and you know all kinds of stuff gave me five minutes of his precious time and charged me nine bazillion dollars for it. And, You know, all this kind of stuff. And while I was there, I had nothing to do. I'm in his office, you know, and I'm looking at all these degrees. Holy moly, this guy's got it together. He's got it going on. You know, I'm not going to argue with him about what he prescribes. Okay, very cool. Whatever you call that medicine, we'll get it. Got any samples? I did, uh... yeah. You wouldn't let somebody uh, lance a boil unless they had sufficient training, and all that kind of stuff. I would be very, very careful about putting yourselves under the authority of ministerial staff who don't have commensurate education, experience, demonstrated evidence of calling, and all the rest. And once you find them, I sort of would let them handle the scriptures for you. That doesn't mean lay people don't have a place, but I sort of, when there's sort of points of contention, I sort of would defer to those who maybe, who maybe have a little more training and experience. You know what I mean? I mean? It's just amazing to me. If I said to the doctor, well, that's your opinion. <laughs> I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, except uh, I'm just trying to say, called ministers are supposed to be able to handle ministry, relationships, relationships, Great commission activities, the word of God, with facility. That's just the way it is. If you don't got one like that, what are you paying them for? It's just kind of a... So today, the reason I bring this up is churches are roasting duly called ministers like crazy. So They will let their ministers preach and teach, but they won't let their ministers lead. That's the rub. I like the way that guy preaches. I like the way that guy teaches. I'm not going to follow his leadership. (laughs) So the average minister is lasting two and a half to three years in churches today, in our denomination. And the average minister who leaves will tell you, it's not the stress, it's not the workload, it's a bestowed service I came to serve. They won't respect and follow my leadership. Everything has to be subjected to a vote. Why? That's American government applied to the church. It's not a democracy. The priest didn't call for a vote. <laughs> it's a bestowed... All right, I'm saying... Man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. So, all right. And by the way, a minister who's arrogant, who pulls rank, who says, how dare you talk to me? Oh, my goodness, that person is... That's not right. Right? So, you know, the scriptures say, um, uh, always be ready to give a defense and be gentle in correcting others. So that's very, very important. On the, so there's a responsibility from the minister to the folks, and, but the folks have a response. So tonight I'm talking to you about the responsibility of the ministers. But next week, uh, so, so I'm warning you in advance, we'll talk a little more about the responsibility of the church to the ministers. But you you got nothing to worry about this is when a person is invited to serve at sagemont church that person has just gotten a taste of heaven that person will look nowhere else there's no place better i've been here for a lot of years and the other guys here buddy's been here uh for uh, many more on the planet more years than anybody and and <laughs> we love it we we're able to do what we're called to do because of you it's just you you cheer for us and you know everyone does better in an atmosphere of encouragement so this is quite an encouragement. but you you know but what's going on out there is unbelievable unbelievable okay so anyway uh ah, where was i so so uh the minister didn't choose. He was chosen. But here's the other deal. The minister doesn't have it all together. He he has a sinful inclination just like the ones he ministers to. That's really interesting. He's called, but he's flawed like everybody else. It almost, it almost has to be this way. Let me read this to you. Hebrews chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided. I'm not saying this is you, but I'm just reading the words here. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. That's why God doesn't choose angels to minister to his people because angels got it together. He chooses ministers who don't have it really any more together than anybody else. Therefore, they wouldn't dare lord it over with arrogance anybody else. They wouldn't say, how could you? you? I don't understand. they say, yeah, I can understand. I struggle just as you do. Here's what's helped me. You see, so that's, that's what it says, right? There. He himself is also beset with weakness. And because of it, he's obligated to offer sacrifices for sins, sure. As for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he's called by God, even as Aaron was. So Hebrews refers us back to what we're reading in Numbers. So, folks, the ministers of a church are accountable to the church, but they're mostly accountable to the head of the church. That's serious business. They will stand before him, and they will bear the guilt of unchecked, unbridled unholiness both in their churches and in their personal lives. Therefore, they have grave responsibilities concerning the people they serve, and the people they serve have grave responsibilities concerning them. But as we close, let's remember this. The believer priests and the full-time ministers all fall short. Therefore, as it says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, holy brethren. Oh my goodness, I love that. God has set us apart, looks upon us, as if we're holy. Therefore, holy brethren. You know, you know what God is saying? He's just saying, live in accordance to your new identity. I already consider you to be special, sanctified, set apart. He's, God's just saying, live up to your calling. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Consider him. Think about him. Delight in him. Be overwhelmed at his perfections, shared by no other, not by any lay person, not by any clergy. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, Our confidence, our confession, our conviction is not in an earthly minister or ministerial staff. Oh, no. We're all flawed. We're all human. We all struggle. We're all in the wilderness on our way home. So consider Jesus, the high priest, who is the basis of all that we confess. He's perfect. He's sinless. He'll never let you down. He'll never let you go. He'll never lose sight of you. He's always on time. He's always available. He's never busy. He'll always return your call. He always hears your voice. He always nods his head. He always says, I know I know. He always visits you. The scriptures say we are crowned with loving kindness and compassion. Imagine this. Can you envision it? Here's the crown he put on her head. You can read it. Psalm 103. It says this. Crowned with loving kindness and compassion. He's the perfect high priest. None of us measure up to and don't need to because he's the high priest of our confession. So consider Jesus. What do you have to do as lay people? Same thing we have to do as clergy. We have to throw ourselves on the mercy of God, of which there's an abundant overflow. We have to receive, gratefully, the grace of God, of which there's an abundant overflow. It's amazing. Where sin abounds, His grace superabounds. Though we be unfaithful, He remains faithful, we, throw our, we consider Jesus and we look to him who mercifully, get this, bore the guilt of all our sin. What Aaron was as a foreshadowing of the ultimate high priest, our high priest has fulfilled. Aaron bore the guilt of sin to a certain extent. Our high priest, the Lord Jesus, has borne the guilt of all of our sin, all people, Jewish and Gentile, all sins, past, present, and future. What a calling was his, the only begotten Son of God, with whom the Father is well pleased. (laughs) And what a cost. (laughs) He bore the guilt of our sin. Could I just invite you, we must do this. Um, what are you doing with the level of discomfort you have with God? Let me, maybe you don't call it the guilt of your sin yet. So let me just call it, what do you do with your discomfort? If you're sensing some discomfort with God, I, meaning I'm distant from him, I don't. you talk about this God, I don't know what he's like, I don't know where to find him. You say he's for you. I don't think he's for me. I don't even know where he is. What's his name? You talk to him this way. How do you talk to him? You look to him. You say he's your rock and redeemer. To me, he's an abstraction. That's what I mean. If you have a level of discomfort, you enjoy God. You can't wait to talk about him, sing his praises, and worship him. And frankly, I'm trying to hide from him and run away. That's kind of what I mean. So I'm asking you, what do you do do with your level of discomfort with God? Why not let Jesus bear the burden for you? (laughs) That's what he did. As the high priest, he bore the guilt of all of your transgressions, flaws, wrongdoings, deficiencies, the whole deal, everything. He took it all so that you can be unburdened and have free access to his Father, who is otherwise unapproachably holy. You cannot approach him in your unholiness. You think you can, but you cannot. I'm telling you, he's a consuming fire. Be careful. You have to come through the Son who absorb all the penalty and wrath of a holy God for you, you have, to, you have to. So, so what are you doing to resolve the guilt of your sin? What are you? What are you doing to deal with? I just want to know what you're doing. You've been religious, okay? Oh wow, that's shaky ground. How religious do you need to be to satisfy? God? I mean, what do you? How do you know where you are? How do? You, so listen. What we want to invite you to do. Uh, after we pray, is come spend some time with us so we can speak to you about how do you resolve the discomfort you may be sensing uh, with Almighty God. Would you pray? Lord Jesus, Lord, can I just... I'm just reminded of something. I am so comfortable with you that I'm talking to you now. It's just me. What am I doing? I'm just wearing normal... I'm just... I'm talking to you. I'm not afraid. You're my father. You're a provider, you're a prote- you're everything the perfect father is and does. And the reason I'm not afraid is that I not only know of you, somehow you've made it clear to me the way to get to you. There is one God, I know this. And then I came to know by your grace there's also one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, Messiah Jesus. So now I'm so comfortable. I love to spend time with you. Frankly, I'm more uncomfortable with people than I am with you. I know where I stand with you. Thank you for resolving the discomfort the guilt of my sin. Thank you for bearing it. Thank you for casting it behind your back and separating it as far as the east is from the west. Wow. Thank you for calling me a son. Thank you for letting me approach your throne characterized by grace so as to receive grace and mercy. Thank you for crowning me with love and compassion which will not let me go. Thank you for the safety and security of it all. Thank you for saving me from mindless, repetitive, religious behavior and introducing me into an extraordinarily fresh, exciting, personal encounter, conversation, walk, life experience. Thank you, giver of life, for flooding my soul with abundant life here and the promise of eternal life to come. Thank you for bearing the guilt of my sin. This I pray. In the name of the high priest, the Lord Jesus, amen.